0: Our sixth and final week of prophecy and before we dive into the text today <clears throat> i just want to um touch on two things that they were talking about during the announcements um the the bananas game uh we we pre-purchased 50 tickets and just so you know uh, i was told that it's sold out the entire season and that people are scalping them at 150 dollars a ticket So we've got people contacting us from outside of the church wanting to buy the tickets that we bought for us. So here's what I'm asking is I'm asking that this is a community thing for us, right? So uh, I I want you to buy the tickets. I want you to come and be with us, sit with us, laugh, watch the game, have a good time uh, for the event, right? Okay, don't go on there and buy all the tickets up to give to your buddies, you know what I'm saying? Like we're trying to create a community experience at the same time. Now, if you have a friend you're wanting to introduce to the community and the church, that that's fine. But we bought 50 tickets and they're gonna be gone in no time and we did this for you guys. So, and to support the the women's healthcare at Thrive. So make sure you get your tickets soon as well because if you're thinking oh yeah i might want to do that we don't have the ability to go get more tickets when they're gone all right so you need to get on get your tickets purchased uh and that's june 17th right june 17th all right the second thing is uh uh is every every church fights the battle of trying to convince people to serve in children's ministry and uh it's a reality but here's the thing like that, that is a that is a new thing, that is a cultural thing in this world. We have a world that does not care about kids, we don't value kids, we have people who are growing up going, I don't even know if I'll have children. Right, that is not something that has ever, in the history of the world, been a mindset. Right, the the world has always held family as being something beautiful, something incredible. Uh, it is a, a it is a blessing to have children. And so I gotta just say counterculturally, like like you know, some people do not need to serve in kids. Do not get me wrong, you do not need to serve in kids. Okay, some of you can show up one Sunday a month or every two months and help some of the kids. And you should see that as something that is of value, not something that is like, oh, I dread doing this, I don't like children. Like a lot of that is the world around us telling us that children are bad, right? Children are bad, children are bad. That is not a biblical truth. Children are incredible and they are a blessing. And there is nothing that I hold of greater value in this world, in my relationship with Christ than my family. It is the biggest, best gift God has given me is my family. Like I love being a dad, I love being a husband. I am all about it and I am young, my kids are young, but I'm gonna tell you when I'm a granddad and that day will come one day, I'm gonna love being a granddad. I am not going to be afraid of it. I do not care what the world around me says. They are wrong. Children are amazing. They should be invested in and be led. They matter. And uh, so if that steps on your toes a little bit, you know, they make Band-Aids for that stuff. All right help us okay we are getting ready to bring on a family pastor director that's going to get our kids ministry off the ground and we're going to need help to be able to invest in the next generation so that they know jesus and that they are able to grow up with biblical truths right that is part of the responsibility of the church globally and we take the bible seriously uh, and so I just want to encourage you, encourage you to uh, be praying about that and see how you can get involved in helping to get our kids ministries back off the ground post COVID. All right, so we are going to, uh, we're going to, uh, we're going to keep stepping on toes today. Who likes to have their toes stepped on, right? Today's about judgment, right? There's no way to do judgment like you know like as a comedy sketch Uh, I'm gonna do my best uh to keep it lighthearted uh but let's go ahead and stand to our feet for the reading of the word uh uh we're going to be in Revelation chapter 20 uh right here uh beginning in this is not the right uh sermon so I just want to go ahead and throw that out there that is cued onto the screens Chris Isaac uh can you hear me my phone real quick that is uh, the wrong sermon slides right there from maybe last week. All right, so I'm going to read the, uh, the word to you today uh, from this, beginning in Genesis chapter 9 and uh, verse 8. Uh, while they work on getting that sorted. Uh, Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him. Now, you know it's good that we're wrapping up a prophecy series out of the book of Revelation and the pastor starting in Genesis chapter 9. So, I hope you brought your lunch with you. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. that is, between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to teach your word today. I pray, God, that you would lead, guide, direct me as I am presenting uh, context, as I am presenting uh, the word, Lord, that it would be truth. Lord, we want to be faithful to your word. I pray that uh, for those that are hearing this today, whether they're here in the room or watching online or maybe even at a later date, they're tuning into this, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do what only the Holy Spirit can do. There would be a stirring in our hearts, God, that we would be receptive and that we would be transformed, that our minds would be renewed. In your mighty name, amen, amen. All right, so today, like I said, you can be seated. I'm gonna be talking about judgment And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I would love to tell you that it's going to be uh, the feel good message of the year, that everybody's going to go home uh, having uh, something funny to say about the message. Uh, That's probably not going to be the case. Uh, And in fact, I think that for some of you, uh, can can I just be honest with you? And maybe it's not so much in the room as much as it might be uh, some people who might see this online, but it could be in the room. There is, and I talk about this regularly, there are varying views uh, on the uh, on the importance of Scripture when it comes to the Christian faith. And I just, I got to tell you, just right out of the gate, right, okay, in case you don't know this about me, I believe that the Word of God is the Word of God. I believe that it is sacred, it is holy, it is God-breathed, inspired. It is not the ramblings of a bunch of crazy people who had an encounter with God and then did the best they could through their own, you know, uh, derelict view of the world to write it down, okay? So, we hold the the Bible to be sacred and holy And we believe that God is capable of presenting truth that is timeless, right? Every generation can receive and hold to. And so we don't look at the scriptures and go, yeah, well, that was true for them, but it's not true for us, right? Well, then at that point, it's not a sacred text, right? God's word then is, well, it's true then, but it's not true now. So I'm not going to teach it that way. I don't hold it to be that way. And so today, at times, it might feel like... I'm stepping on some toes. Uh, but the perspective is that God's word is yes and amen. It is true. So uh, let's dive back into Genesis 6 for just a moment as we get into the judgment talked about in Revelation uh, chapter uh, 21. So here in, or chapter 20, verse 5. Uh, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So in Genesis 9, the flood has already taken place, and there is massive devastation. There's. God kept using this language that, that this is a covenant to all flesh, right? So that covenant was not just for you and I, but it was a covenant for everything living. Because the the, the judgment that was brought through the flood impacted everything that had life in it, right? Everything that had life was impacted through that judgment. So Genesis 6 Uh, is the kind of the precursor to the flood, right? It's God's looking at the earth. He decides it's time for there to be some type of judgment for the actions, the behavior of people. When we get to Revelation, watch with me for a moment. Revelation is using language that is synonymous with Old Testament uh, portions of Scripture to let us see that God. God walks us through some of the same situations intentionally so that when we are walking through a difficult time, we have something to look back on, right? So when we talk about judgment, we can look at God's judgment and how it's been enacted before so that we can have an understanding of how God operates with judgment. So when somebody says, yeah, well, you know, judgment, you know, me and God, we got this thing figured out, right? I mean, he knows I'm doing the best I can. and does it really matter. And so it's like this idea that I'm going to get into the throne room of God and be like, what's up, God? Yeah, I know I did a lot of really bad stuff, but you don't care, do you? I mean, you're my dad, right? All you want is good for. Me and then all of a sudden it's like, Yeah, of course, I've got a Ferrari for you over here now. Go drive around and have a good time, right? But that's not the picture that we get when we look at judgment, and so we have examples of judgment, all right? So, this is what I want to walk you through it's an example of judgment. So, God looks at the world, right? Okay, here, and He sees that the wickedness of man was great. Verse 6. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. This is a difficult place for me to get my head around for God to be in. That God looked at his creation and regretted having made it. Verse 7, so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Bottom line, every intention of the thoughts of man were only evil continually. Think about that, right? So, in order for us to be able to, to understand this, there has to be a way to define what is evil. There has to be a way to be able to go, okay, there's right and there's wrong. There's good and there's bad. There's righteous and there's evil. When things are evil, God looks at it and says, man, they're not getting it. Right? And so God's judgment impacted all of creation. Everything suffered because of what? The evil of humanity. It wasn't the evil of the animals. The evil of humanity impacted the entirety of creation. So, what were those intentions, right? What were the intentions that God saw in the thoughts of man, right? Not just in their behavior, but all the way down into the, into the thoughts that God said, "Man, I th- this is, I got to blot this out. This is a problem." Well, Jude chapter one. Jude is writing here in verse 6, and he says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, and he's talking here about the flood, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So, Jude, Jude, a New Testament author, is interpreting the Old Testament story of the flood. This is his interpretation. I'm going to argue that it's God's interpretation, right? Because we believe that the Holy Spirit is the one that's prompting Jude's writing. There is an interpretation that the flood took place in some primary sense because of sexual immorality. Now, how do we define sexual immorality? right? Defining the terms matters. And, and, and here's the problem with trying to define sexual immorality or the pursuit of unnatural desires. We have to define what's natural, right? Is that sex is the world's obsession. It is the world's obsession. And this is not something that's new, but our world is obsessed with sex, Right? I I haven't checked these numbers recently, but a few years ago, uh, uh, it was posted that uh, the porn industry makes more money annually than all professional sports globally combined. I mean, think about that. That the porn industry, right, an industry that feeds the sexual desires of people, brings in more revenue than all of your professional sports globally combined. That, that's, I'm going to say, I think that's probably a lot of money, right? I, I, I would say that probably has a, a, a high dollar amount there. In fact, it was bringing in more money than your five major TV networks brought in combined as well. Why? Because we are obsessed with this. And and, and I, I've been thinking about this, right? And, I, and, and uh, I've, I've been kind of meditating on this judgment thing. And in fact, I was going to try to just kind of squeeze it in last week, right? I told y'all a couple of weeks ago, it's going to be the last week, last week. But I just, my I, I under conviction, I could not just throw judgment in as like this little like passing moment um, because there's just something about the scripture and about how the, the the types of sins God presents consistently through his word when it comes to sins for judgment, that, I, that we just don't want to address. We don't want to talk about them. Um, and so, just a couple of thoughts here. God made sex, right? This was God's creation, His gift. And I got to tell you, God does not make chaos, right? So, these are two statements that I think Christians, regardless of their view of Scripture, would, would hold to. They would go, yeah, God created sex, right? right? God made weed, right? Do you ever hear that argument, right? God made weed. He made this. We should, we should just smoke it, right? Right. God made sex. We should just have sex, right? But God also doesn't make anything that's chaotic. And so if sex is creating some type of chaos, right? My, my kids are probably loving how many times I'm saying sex in the sermon today or all the kids are apparently, (laughs) right? When it becomes chaotic, I think we could look at it and go, well, that's not exactly how God must have made it and created it, right? There's some type of chaos here. There's some type of, there's a war that's (laughs) taking place around it, right? Now I get it because at the end of the day, somebody goes, well, Pastor Jim, does it really matter?" Does it really matter? So here's what I want you to do with this question right here. I want you to take that question, and if that's a question you want answered, I want you to take it, I want you to fold it up, I want you to tuck it in your pocket, and when we get to the end of the message, we'll pull it back out, and I'll try to try to answer that for you, because I do think that matters, but I'll explain why in a moment. So, go back to Genesis chapter 9. I want to look at a few words that were in the text here. Genesis 9, verse 9. Behold, he says, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. Okay? So, what does this word covenant mean? I thought that's just kind of interesting. It is, and when we talk about what does it mean, like we're talking about in the in its usage, right? So, like like, how could it be used in a sentence structure, right, that would help us understand the intent? An alliance, a treaty, a constitution, right? So, a constitution, this word would be used in in the sense of a constitution, meaning that there is some type of covenant that is being made. So, when we think about the U.S. Constitution, we think about a, 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 a covenant that is made between the government and the people, right? There is an agreement, and there are standards to be upheld, okay? So, this is a covenant that God enters into with all of creation, okay? Verse 16, when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant, right, between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. So, this word bow, and depending on the translation that you're using, it might read bow, it might read rainbow, right? So, the reason that it says bow here instead of rainbow is because that word is also the word for a bow used for hunting. It is also used for the rainbow that's in the sky, right? Okay, and so the picture being that God, the hunter, the one that brings justice, has taken his bow and made it visible so that we can see that because it's on the wall, right? It's not in his hands. It's not being used to come and bring judgment in this moment. So there is time, right? And so, this rainbow is meant to remind us. So, when we see after a storm and we see the rainbow in the sky, it is meant to remind us. Verse 17, God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established. So, what is a sign? It's a distinguishing mark or a signal, right? And immediately, I thought of the bat signal right? I know that's what your mind went to when you saw that just now, but think about it for a moment. This is a really good example for us. The bat signal. Uh, Commissioner Gordon needs to speak with Batman. So what does he do? He goes to the bat signal and he shoots it up into the sky. And in case you were wondering, the science behind this is bunk. It doesn't work, right? You have to have constant cloud coverage and the clouds have to all be at the exact same ceiling. And there can't be any movement in the clouds in order for the signal to look the way it does. So whenever you're the Bat-Signal in a a movie, it's fake. They've CG'd that stuff. There's no Bat-Signal that's really working. Um, You can look it up online. But let's go to the premise of the Bat-Signal, right? Uh, The Bat-Signal is this idea that Commissioner Gordon and Batman are going to have com- communication. They're going, to, they're going to meet and have a conversation. But for the rest of the world, it is a symbol of hope. They see the symbol in the sky and they are reminded Batman is out on the streets. If you saw the new movie, it strikes fear into the enemy because the bad guys are like, oh no, that means he could be in any dark crevice there to get me. And so everyone's like afraid of stepping into dark corners, right? When you see the signal... As a normal person, you go, okay, there's somebody out here to help me, right? When we see the rainbow, right, the rainbow has one intention. It is to remind us that we are in a covenant with God, that he will not bring a judgment that is spontaneous in nature to flood the world and kill everything at one time. He will not bring a judgment the same way that he brought it in Genesis chapter 6 through 9. Okay, That judgment, that form, it will be different next time, but that there will be judgment. Note that the, con- the covenant is not, well, I'll never hold people accountable. I'll have no expectations of people. That's not what's happening in the covenant. The covenant is the, 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 the agreement, the alliance with the world is that I'll, I won't do it the same way. right? So what is the rainbow? The rainbow is a symbol of hope. It is a symbol of hope that god is giving us time he's giving us time to react to respond to make changes to make corrections to the way that we live life the way that we do life in the world around us right and we live though in a culture that gets its way this is the mindset of our culture i'm going to get my way what i believe is right it's a really easy analogy right here to to look at a court case, right? And so you have the the prosecution and the defense. And what do they do? They both bring in experts, right? And so the prosecution, they bring in an expert and the expert says, well, I've got this degree from this acclaimed place and all these certifications. And I'm telling you right now, this is exactly what the truth is. And then the defense brings in their own expert, and their expert says, well, I've got this degree from over here and all of these certifications, and I'm telling you right now that this is how it is, right? And so both sides bring, quote unquote, highly educated professionals, and they come up with completely differing views on whatever it is, right? How the murder was uh, achieved or what the technology that was used meant or what what linguistics, like people come in and they make it mean what they want it to mean, right? Uh, uh, One of the things that we talk about is like when it comes to statistics and data, right? If we just only cherry pick the data we want to use, we can really make a case and an argument for almost anything, right? And this is something that Man, I got to tell you, the media and politicians, they love to do, right? They love to cherry pick data points to get an emotional rise out of us. And I, I don't know how to, how to sway them to stop doing that and have integrity. I wish I did. Uh, I don't know how to do that. But it is a reality of the world that we live in is that we want to get our way. Uh, when Isaac was little, we had gone to visit family and we were uh, on our way home and uh, he had asked to do something, and I said, no, we're not doing that, and he said, yeah, yeah, we definitely are, and I was like, well, hold on just a second. Now, I said no, and this is not normal, and he goes, no, I want to, and I was like, well, you're still not going to. I don't know what's going on, and I'm having that moment when you're driving. I don't know if you've had this as a parent where it's like, I will pull this car over right now, right, I mean, I watched one lady one time pull her shoe off and just start swinging it in the back, right? I never did that. But, but I'm thinking to myself, like, like, we've never had this interaction, right? And if I remember correctly, actually, I think Carmen was driving and I was in the passenger seat. I might not have that right. But, but we both were like, hold on, what, what are you doing? Like, this is not normal. And he says, well, I was playing with my cousin and my cousin said that she was gonna do something. And I said, my mom and dad don't let me do that. And she said, oh, here's the trick. You just keep arguing and screaming and yelling and they'll finally give up. You'll always get your way. As long as you have the tenacity to demand it, eventually they just give up, right? And we were like, oh, no, that is not happening in this house, right? And, and it didn't. I'll, I'll give Isaac credit. Isaac, he woke up real quick right there in the car, and we didn't have that problem from him. But I got to tell you, that was a moment for me because I watch full-grown adults today who can't take no for an answer. And they're going to scream and yell until they get their way. And then it's not enough to get your way. On top of that, everybody else has got to agree with you and they've got to believe what you're believing. They've even got to wear the t-shirt. You're not wearing the t-shirt. I'm going to keep screaming and yelling until you go get your t-shirt on, right? And, and, and we have this culture of, I'm going to get my way. But I got to tell you that a culture that gets its way still faces judgment. There's still consequences for actions. And the idea that somehow we can circumvent those consequences is just not a reality. It's not a reality. We may be able to circumvent the consequences of a decision, right, for today, for tomorrow. Maybe we can get by for a few years, but it catches up with us, right? It catches up with us. The world around us is one that has an ebb and flow that deals with consequences. Now, last week, we laid out the picture in Revelation chapter 20 of the millennial reign, right? And this is the picture of the tribulation has ended, uh, Jesus shows up, the enemy is defeated, he's thrown into a prison for a thousand years, and Jesus is going to reign here on earth for a thousand-year period, and it says that the nations of the earth will come and seek wisdom and guidance from Jesus. But at the end of the thousand years, that serpent, that crafty little devil him. He's going to be released one last time to deceive the hearts of men. Same thing he did in the garden. He's going to say, no, you don't need God, right? You've lived a thousand years with Jesus, but you don't really need him. And some people are going to be like, yeah, I can be my own God. I can do my own thing. And there'll be one last rebellion. And then that rebellion will be squashed. And people will go, I mean, the evidence will be overwhelming, but people will still not believe, right? And... Then we are brought to what Scripture shows us are, and this is what most scholars agree on when we're talking about doctrine, and so I'm going to lay it out this way for you. Hopefully it'll make a little bit of sense. Uh, what are two judgments, okay? Two judgments. So, and the reason I want to lay it out this way is because I think that it's important for you to understand uh, what the judgment looks like for uh, for you, whether you are a believer or not a believer. So, Revelation chapter 20, uh, going here into verse 11, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. So, this is like a moment where it's like you're in the vacuum of space is the way that it, it kind of feels, right? Verse 12, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. It says, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So, this judgment specifically that we see here is a judgment where the rainbow is gone. Right? The covenant is fulfilled right? The millennial reign has come to an end. We're standing at judgment. The rainbow is no longer there as a hope that God's hand of judgment is stay. Uh, You could think of it like this, that the hunter's bow has been taken off of the wall. And those people that do not know Jesus, and let me tell you what it means to know Jesus. This is not rocket science, all right? There is not some like 20-step plan to knowing Jesus, Uh, You don't have to serve for five years before you get your Jesus papers. It's really simple. You come to a place where you realize that you cannot save yourself and that Jesus is the only hope. And the scripture says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And so salvation is not for some like little portion of the population that's able to level up enough in life. No, it is for anyone who will believe but those that do not believe do not get their name written in that book. And when, that, when your name is not found in that book, what does it say? It says that there are these other books now that have all of the deeds, the way that you lived life, the things that you stood for, that you participated in, and that you are judged based on them and then separated from God for eternity Into what is described here as the lake of fire. Now, you can imagine that however you want. You can imagine it as a lake of fire, right? I don't think that it really matters whether you think it's a lake of fire or whether you can just get a hold of the fact that it is a separation for eternity from God, right? A separation. For eternity, from the only one that is a creator, the only one that is good, the only one that is righteous, you will be living the remainder of eternity forever and ever, in what is considered to be a pl- a place where your neighborhood is filled with people who are evil, right? Okay, so so there is a judgment, and then there is some type of weighing there. I, I don't know how else to describe it to you, but uh, there are going to be some lifestyles and some decisions that are going to have different consequences than lifestyles and decisions of others. Um, I think that just an arbitrary, really simple way to look at it is I would venture to say that the the Hitlers of the world will probably have a little special room reserved for them, right? Okay? And I don't want you to think though, well, this is the danger in saying that, right? Because we get it. Hitler did some really bad things and convinced people to do some really bad things, right? And we think, oh, I'm not as bad as Hitler, so I'm good. You're just looking at the wrong line, right? The line is not about your behavior when we're talking about eternity. It is about your faith. It is about whether or not you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior uh, or if you deny him, right? Right? That's the simple line. And so then this one group of people go, their name is not in the Lamb's Book of Life, and they face judgment for the way that they lived their lives. The second judgment, and not that these are numbered like first and second in some chronological order, it's just a different judgment. This is a judgment that Paul talks about in Romans 14, beginning in verse 10. He says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? uh, Uh, Now, let me just say right here something that's important to note, right, in the context of this writing. Paul is writing to the church in Rome. This is a church that he had not visited, okay? But he knows of their faith. He writes about this in his letter. He knows that they are believers. He knows they are trying to serve God. So, he is writing to believers, not to unbelievers, and he says, why do you pass judgment on your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So we can look at it and say, all right, so if I am saved, if my name is in the Lamb's book of life, I'm going to stand and give an account for the way I live my life before God. And if my name is not found in the Lamb's book of life, I am going to be separated and there will be a judgment based on the way that I live my life. So here's what I'm getting at, right? Is that the way we live our lives consistently, constantly in Scripture comes up. This picture or this idea that being a Christian is like, well, I'm saved, so I'm good, right? I've got this eternal security, so what does it matter? I'll live how I want. I'll do what I want. It doesn't really matter. That's just not a biblical perspective right? Now, the biblical perspective is also not one that like God is standing there with his like little pointer in his hand, ready to pop your hand every time you do something, right? I mean, there is grace, there is mercy, but there is not to be justification on our end to go, well, why does it matter? Well, it matters. It matters to God. It matters to the heart of God, right? And what we don't want to do is be standing before God and him knowing the intentions and our thoughts and going, man, I really regret having made them. So, our conduct matters, right? So, believers will give an account of the lives that they lived. So, if you are a child of God, listen, let me tell you, celebrate that. Don't sit here living in fear. Am I saved? Am I not saved? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is returning. Jesus is King. Jesus is God in the flesh. You're in a good place. Now, because you love Jesus, begin to change the way that you live your life right this is why there's this old-timey language we don't use it very much but it talks about salvation and sanctification right salvation meaning i've come to know jesus sanctification means i'm putting down bad habits sin that's in my life i'm becoming sanctified right this is, this can be a process in many of our lives right because we have to begin to do internal work to change who we are so that we can be a better person The best example I could give you is that when I got married, um, I was young. I'm thankful that I was able to get married. I have Really, been. I don't want to use the word luck because I don't want to make anybody else feel bad, but I mean, I I definitely got the better end of the deal for you know, in, in my relationship with my wife. We are very happy, but I have got to tell you that I am not the man today that I was when we got married. The man that married my wife stayed up all night playing Halo and Halo 2, right? He was late to work every day, all he cared about was video games and hanging out with everybody, and right? I wasn't taking responsibility for much more. than than whoever it was that was calling demanding responsibility at the moment, right? But by the grace of God, I began to make changes in my life. I began to become aware of these areas where I needed to grow and be better. And I didn't need somebody nagging me and chasing me down. No, I just wanted to become a better person. Why? Because I saw the value in that, right? And I saw that modeled for me by Jesus. I saw that modeled in the scriptures. There's a call for me to be a better person. So, this picture of sanctification, right? So, believers will give an account of the lives that they live. Because I become aware of that, I begin to go, oh, I want to live my life in a way that I'm not embarrassed at the account that I give. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So, any life worth living is going to be on one foundation, and that's the foundation of Jesus, right? So you get saved, you begin to live your life. Jesus is the foundation for that. Now watch this. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, right? For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So in other words... The choices you make in this life have eternal ramifications. Now, some people, some of you are the glasses half empty. That's just the way you look at it. And you go, oh, man, so everything I do, man, God's out to get me. That is, you are only looking at it from wood, hay, and stubble, right? Right? There's a beautiful part of this, and that is that if you'll do the hard work and make the right investments, you get an eternal reward from that. I mean, think about it, who in here would not, if you could go back 10 years and invest in Tesla or Bitcoin or Amazon, you would not dump your entire life savings. You would sell everything you own to buy up portions of those companies so that you could be here 10 years later as a wealthy person, right? You would go, that was a good investment. So we get what good investments are, right? We also know what bad investments look like. We know good investments and bad investments. And instead of sitting here being afraid, right, you have an entire book that teaches you how to make good investments. And so what he is saying here when Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, he's telling them, he's saying that, look, if you will live your life in a way that honors God, you will be building on a foundation, a, a, a home, an eternity that will last. Now, everybody that is a believer and has the foundation of Jesus makes it through the fire. Right? And this is, this is so important just because like people ask all the time. They go, how do I know I'm really saved? Right? I don't think that's the problem that saved people are really wrestling with. The problem that they're wrestling with is that they are building their homes out of straw, and they're really concerned that the only thing that's going to be left is the foundation. And you should be concerned about that. When we started the church... 11 years ago, just within a few months, there was a series of really devastating tornadoes that went through uh, Birmingham, Alabama, right? And so I'm from uh, that area, and so we took a team, we went back to Birmingham, we took a trailer filled with stuff to go bless families, and we went and looked at some of the devastation. Guys, an F5 is a pretty pretty severe tornado. Okay. It's the highest ranking that they have. And an F5 had come through this area. And the only thing left, left there was the foundation of houses. And it looked like not only was it just the foundation, it looked like everything had been scrubbed off and they had been pressure washed. Like nothing. When I tell you nothing, I'm not saying like, oh, there was a wall and like a caved in roof. It was pretty bad. The foundation looked stable. I'm telling you, everything else was gone it was gone. There was a mattress speared to the top of a pine tree, right? In the middle of the road that we were driving down was a, uh, an Xbox just sitting there in the middle of the road with nothing else around it. Like chaos had come and destroyed everything else around. And the only thing that made it, the only thing that survived and was still standing was the foundation, right? So the picture here is, is one that's simple for us to get, is that is that if our foundation is in Jesus, Right? I do not have to be living my life going, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm good enough. That's not what what we're called to be concerned with once we accept Jesus as Lord of our lives. We are concerned with what are we doing for eternity. What type of investment are we making? How are we honoring the Father? And here's the thing, is that the right investments, they don't just reap an eternal benefit for you. They reap an eternal benefit for others because people are looking at how we live our lives. They say, oh, you believe in Jesus? Yeah, but I don't really see any difference in you and the guy over here that says he doesn't believe in Jesus, right? Well, that's probably a good sign that you have gathered some straw and wood and you're building up a little house for yourself and it's not going to make it through the fire that should be concerning people should be able to see the difference in you right they should be able to see if you're a child of god the way you live the way you talk the things you believe are just different right i am i am sorry but there are things that the bible teaches that i hold to that hurt people's feelings i believe in the sanctity of marriage that hurts people's feelings People don't want to hear that, right? Okay, I believe that children are a blessing. Can I tell you, people do not want to hear you say that children are a blessing, right? I mean, you had the, the uh, CEO of Pfizer week before last say that the world's population should be cut in half right? That does not scream, I love children. You know what I'm saying? Right? Uh, I think we need the population to be halved. That's uh, like, like uh, you, you need to stop talking, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I, That's like Thanos level right there, right? Snap your finger half. A, okay, anyway. All right. Okay. Now, what I am telling you here, I'm going to lay this down for you real quick. What I am telling you The church has taught this for 2,000 years. I'm not coming up with some new program, right? Okay, this is not me as a pastor going, No, I know the pastors have always said it this way, but I was drunk the other night and snorting some drugs, and God spoke to me and showed me that it was all a lie. And uh, here's what he really was saying, right? You think that's crazy, but there are pastors who do that stuff. And then they say God spoke to them in the middle of their like LSD trip or whatever the drug is. What are the kids doing these days, right? Okay. Now, now let's get a little bit more lighthearted. Are you all ready? Right. That's heavy. Judgment's heavy. We're going to wrap up the series with some crazy town. Here we go. We're wrapping up right now. So once the judgment is concluded, God establishes a new heaven and a new earth, right? You probably have heard this new heaven, new earth. This is exciting, right? Okay. Right. Right. No, Now, watch this. So, John, who God's giving the revelation to, says that he has a vision of a new Jerusalem descending to the earth. I just want you to think about that for a moment, okay? What does descending mean, right? Okay? New heaven, new earth, and there is a city coming out of the heavens, is what he says, and it is coming down to earth. A city coming from the heavens down to earth. And then he gives some measurements for this city because it's a big city is what he says. In verse 15 of chapter 21, and the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. So apparently, God thought it was probably a good idea for us to understand this city that's coming out of the sky down to this new earth, how big that it was. The city lies four square. Its length the same as its width. That's what four square means. It's all four sides are going to be the same. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. So there's, there's four sides and just as big as it is this way, it is this way and it is this way, right? That is 12,000 stadia. And you're thinking to yourself, what's 12,000 stadia? Well, he says he also measured its wall, 144 cubits, by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. So what does that tell us, right? Well, thankfully, we know that a stadia and a cubit were a, 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 a unit of measurement that were used during the time of Christ. And we're able to translate that, right? Are you curious what that looks like? I'll show you real quick. So the New Jerusalem is a cube having sides 1,500 miles in length each way. So in perspective to earth today, this city that comes from the sky and lands here, right, that's, that's, that's some dimensions for you, right? All right, what does that mean, right? Are you ready for this? I have no idea, I have no clue. I have listened to what everybody has to say, I don't know. It is a mystery, and I am not going to lie to you. I am pumped to see exactly what that looks like, right, okay? Uh, I, I want to know the physics of how this works when Jesus finishes all of this and there's a new heaven and a new earth. If I had to guess, I would think that it just means that a new heaven, a new earth, it means that the new earth is going to be a lot bigger than the earth that we're on, and so it will have a ratio that makes more sense. Revelation 21 verse 23, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light we will will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there, right? They will bring into the glory... They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Can I just tell you, we're, we're at the very end of the book, okay? We're at the very end of the book, and there are just a few things that, that I got to tell you that are blowing my mind at this point. Judgment has happened, Right? We're in a we're in eternity, a new heaven, a new earth, a new city. And then he says that there are nations. What are these nations? Right? There are kings. Who are these kings? And then it, then this is the, the, the next thing that blows my mind. He even references the unclean during this time. So who are the unclean? And then the thing that blows my mind the most is only Christians can enter the city. Well, my little felt board like Sunday school lesson led me to believe that the only people in eternity were the Christians, right? So if only Christians can come in, who is not allowed in? Because they weren't in my felt board little discussion that we had when we were kids. There is some, somebody who is there in eternity and the children of God have access to the throne room of God and whoever these other created Individuals are, they don't have access to the throne room of God. And he wraps up here in chapter 22. I'm going to read these last verses in closing. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the Holy Spirit, I mean, the holy still be holy. I just want to throw a thought out there because it says the time is near. And Immediately, we begin to think. Well, it's been, you know, it's been 2,000 years. I'll just remind you that that language of the time is near. This is the same method that was used in the Old Testament. I mean, it was 700 years from the time that. God spoke to Isaiah and said that he was coming in the flesh, Emmanuel, Jesus, it was a 700-year span, even though it was presented as being imminent, right? And and part of the way that we navigate and understand that is that God exists outside of time, right? And the Scripture says very plainly, a day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. Like God doesn't view time the way that we do, right? So, um, you know, a, a billion years is just a... a, 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 a a millisecond, right, in eternity. It just, is, it just can't even be measured. It's so small. He goes on here. Now, watch this, because I told you we were going to pull that little piece of paper back out. Why does it matter? Okay, right? Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each for what he has done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. That'd be a good place to end today and have everybody cheer. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Can I tell you, we are post- judgment in our teaching here and 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 the angel is speaking John's getting these last thoughts and what is the la- what is one of the last things he comes back to he says now remind the people remind the people that right the sorcerers the sexually immoral the murderers the idolaters those who love and practice falsehood right they are not in this position of eternity with God. And I, I just got to tell you that that this reiteration should put a little bit of weight on trying to define for us what is sexually immoral. In verse 16, "'I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you "'about these things for the churches.'" I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. Now, Just in fairness, it is not the book of Scripture, the Bible, right? That's presented to me that way as a child. It is specifically the book of Revelation is a book unto itself. So this, this judgment here, right, this word of caution, I think it is fair to say it should be held to in all of the integrity of Scripture. But there's something special here inside of this text, right? Don't say that that which was said is not true or that it can be redefined or it can be repurposed or redetermined. Let it be what it is, right? And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Here's what I don't know. I don't know when he's coming back, right? Here's what I do know, is that he is. His word says that he is. I have seen his hand move too many times in my life. I have seen the, the, the miraculous work. I have seen the hands of correction in my life. For me to believe that he is not a God who does what he says that he will do. God does what he says he will do. And so he'll, he'll return. And if it's not in this generation, then I just pray by the grace of God, I have lived a life in such a way that I have helped prepare the generation that is alive. He oh, 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 oh. that he sees that the life I've lived serves him, that I have loved him. And I pray the same for you we're going to close out now and you're going to have an opportunity uh if you need prayer, if you want to know Jesus is Lord of your life, if you have sin in your life that you just want to repent of or if you're going through something. You know, God says that he will meet us where we're at. So we go to the elders of the church, the leaders in the church. We 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 ask them to pray with us and believe for God to do what only God can do. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Lord, There is so much that's unknown. And God, our hearts, they are drawn to the unknown. You've put the the picture of eternity in our hearts. We know your word says that. Eternity is written on our hearts. And so, Lord, we look eagerly for your return. We look eagerly for the eternity, the plans that you have for us. Help us to be faithful during the time that we have. We love you and praise you in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Hey, I love you guys. I pray you have a great week. As always, go change your world. We'll see you next Sunday.